It's the Get Off My Lawn podcast for the week of November 29th, 2015. On tonight's program, it's an all-vinyl special edition as we uncover the vinyl fetishes of all our previous guests, including late-night writer, author Bill Sheft, comic, actor, hyphenate Vic Cohen, sitcom writer, warm-up guy Bob Perlow, wrench from Gangsta Grass, jazz singer-songwriter Tessa Suter, Los Angeles anchorman Paul Majors, filmmaker Michael Colon, and featuring the previously unreleased vinyl fetish of Grammy winner Alana Miles. This podcast is sponsored by Kevin's Bookmobile. Check out www.lulu.com forward slash Marusic for a selection of books authored by your genial host. Buy a paperback or download an ebook and help support the podcast. That's www.lulu.com slash M-A-R-O-U-S-E-K. I'm your announcer, Craig, and here's your genial host, Kevin. Hello, one and all, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your genial host, Kevin. Craig misremembered something that happened while he was embedded with the troops and has been shuffled off to MSNBC. Or he's enjoying a well-earned break with his family. You choose. Today's show is not exactly a rerun, but it is a look back at what I'm calling our first season. I know the world of podcasting is freeform, has no rules, no boundaries, which I very much like about it. However, I'm an old-school broadcaster and needs me some structure. So I've arbitrarily decided that every ten episodes constitutes a season, which makes this our first season finale. Unlike J.J. Abrams, I won't end it with a cliffhanger or lens flare, but I will pay homage to everyone who's helped us out so far. One thing I decided early on was that as a fan of music and as a fan of the people I invite on the show, I wanted to ask everybody about their taste in music. If you read the book High Fidelity or watched the John Cusack movie based on the book, uh, you know a person's musical taste might not be the best barometer of their character, but it is almost always revealing and interesting, so that's what we are reviewing here today. First up is the first guest who appeared on the show, Mr. Bill Sheft. Chef's latest book, Shrink Thyself, is available, and it is worth the price of purchase. I've read it, I enjoyed it, and I enjoyed talking with him. His his vinyl fetish sort of set the tone for all the rest. Uh, in terms of rare and valuable, uh, my brother Tom was in a band called The Rising Storm, which, were, which was the inspiration for my novel Time Won't Let Me, and their, their album is called Calm Before, C-A-L-M Before, it came out in 1967. It's been reissued. And when you listen to it, remember, these are 18-year-old kids from prep school that made this album. So that's kind of astonishing. And you understand why, why it's as valuable an album as it is. Uh, so uh, I recommend that. Uh, for all my garage and British invasion loves, uh, one of my favorite bands is Tower Power. I think their oh, second yeah. album, or no, excuse me, their fourth album, Back to Oakland, is lovely, is really well done. And and um, to give to to give you an idea of <laughs> of my collection, the most uh, recent I don't even know if this ever came out on vinyl, but the most recent album I have is the first Hootie and the Blowfish album, Cracked Rear View. And I think that in terms of concept and delivery, that's as well thought out an album as, as you can do out of the box. So I don't know if that's on vinyl. And uh, I know the Truants are coming out with an EP in about a month, and that'll be on vinyl. Nice. But um, 
And, and also my friend John Rojavi, who plays lead guitar with us, he's in a band called The Weaklings, which is a Beatle-inspired band. Their first vinyl album came out, The Weaklings, and that's available on Amazon. And you'll see uh, they play some obscure Beatle stuff, and they play some original stuff that sounds like obscure Beatle stuff. <laughs> Very satisfying. So is that enough for you? That is that is a great answer. I like that. You you, <laughs> it, it's interesting the number of people that I've asked that question to, both on and off a microphone. They all seem to have an opinion on what's going on in the world of music right now, which is nice to hear. Uh, so anything other than the pop stuff to me is an improvement. So <laughs> I agree, but you know, look, you know, everybody. That's the thing about art is that is that. Uh, whatever is faddish or popular or incredibly popular eventually um, gets to its appropriate level. E eventually. Sure. Um, and uh, that's the good thing about art, is people can be very breathless about stuff, and then, you know, 10 years later, it's forgotten. And then 20 years later, people think, hey, you know what, that Taylor Swift... She had a pretty good voice. Um, you know, I don't like all the nonsense, but <laughs> she had a pretty good voice. So, Well, I think the same can be said about, you know, I look at when Letterman left the airwaves versus when Jay left the airwaves, and you talk about memorable moments and things that happened, and boy, there's just a lot more of Letterman's legacy, I think, that we're seeing than of Jay's legacy. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that, I, I, I think that, look, I think that, I think that Dave created a genre, and I think Jay inherited it, and that's the difference. That's the difference. And, um, you know, it's, it's, are you going to start your own business, or are you going to, you know, have Dad set you up in a business? Sure. And I think that that's what The Tonight Show was, it was real estate, you know, and I think that. I think that that's why Jay, even though I think he'd love to do a show, I don't think Jay would ever go anywhere else because I don't think he'd bring viewers. I just don't. I think that he was in... Look, it's not... You know, in some cases, it's the song, and in some cases, it's the singer. You know, and it, it's just like Katie Couric. I mean, Katie Couric um, was popular, but was it Katie Couric or was it the Today Show? And you saw when she went out on her own and, and was it Jay or was it the Tonight Show? So, you know, you have to ask yourself, is it is it Will Ferrell or is it Saturday Night Live? Right. And, you know, you have to think about what is it, the, you know, like I said, is it the singer or is it the song? Well, in some cases and in yours, it's the lyricist. Uh Vic <laughs> Cohen is just a good guy. He's literally up for anything. He's uh, He's got his own podcast called It's a Fair Question, which I listen to regularly. If you haven't checked it out, his episode with former Cosby Show writer Laurie Kimbrough is not to be missed. And I'm actually jealous Vic got that interview. And I'm shocked it hasn't generated uh, much media attention considering the prevalence of Mr. Pudding Pops in the news. As regular listeners know, I sat down with Vic at Cantor's Deli and we just had a blast. Well, the only album I know, I mean, I have a few albums, but I really love the, uh, the Steve Martin uh, stand-up comedy album. The comedy is not prettier, let's where get small. It's a black album and I think he's wearing... Uh, 
a balloon the on balloon his I think that's let's get small. I think I could be wrong. Uh, but that's the one I recommend. That's yeah. It was really good, and I and I was going through old stuff at home, and I found it, you know, back where I grew up, and I it's one of the things I kept. So I was just looking. I saw I have it now. You know, I currently not not like as we're not speaking, on you. But, <laughs> Yeah, but that that was really great. Yeah, that, that is was a great album. That is a, the, his stand up. I loved when he was doing. There's nothing wrong with being serious. Yeah. I just loved his the balls to the wall comedy approach. Yeah, I liked it was ridiculous and over the top and yeah. um, you know it's just so like silly. Yeah. I loved it. That is an excellent album recommendation. I, and, I, I yeah. second it. And this book, he wrote a book called Born Standing Up. I believe that's the title, and it's very interesting if you're ever interested in stand-up or just in Steve Martin. It's a great book. Yeah. yeah. So I recommend that, too. It's not vinyl. That's not yet. paper. Maybe there's an audiobook version somewhere. Yeah, it's really good. Bob Perlow is known in the industry simply as the warm-up guy, but he's been on the writing staff of countless sitcoms going back to the 1970s. He has a new book soon to be released about those experiences called The Warm-Up Guy. And if you live in the Northeast, you might check out his one-man show where he tells tales out of school from those days. As a comedically-minded person, his vinyl fetish was a bit different than the rest. I, I was never a, a music guy. I no? Mean, comedy was always the thing. I, and I know it's not fashionable now to say, oh, I love Bill Cosby. Um, but he, he, his early albums... And well, comedy albums count. Lot, I mean, yeah. I'm just going back a long way. Uh, with the Masters, Prior, No One Better. Oh. So my reference to... Uh, I hope it somehow skirts around and helps you, but uh, it, was, it was always comedy for me. I mean, from Ed Sullivan show through through now. Not so much now. I mean, too. This is true. I mean, you mentioned Bob Newhart's first album, you know, Button Down Mind. As I understand the story, I've heard him tell it before, he, you know, did that album having never really done stand-up before. And that became... The other night. If, if anyone who's listening, if you want a really good reference for for TV and sitcoms, there's a PBS series called Pioneers of Television. And just the other night, they, they, they chronicled Bob Newhart. And you're right, he was an accountant. He was funny, and the, he'd never been in front of an audience before, and he had to do a comedy album. Yeah. I mean, it was, he's remarkable. And, yeah. Bill Cosby, he was the funniest. I didn't like him too much. And, you know, a few years ago, we sat down, he gave me a cappuccino, the next morning, I found him to be a lovely man. <laughs> you couldn't resist, <laughs> could you? <laughs> At heart, I am an older soul than my age would indicate. I'm content to chill to Frank Sinatra or Sammy Davis or unwind with the early classic rockers. I don't relate a lot with the music of, quote-unquote, my generation. But I also don't eschew all things new. And one concept I really take to is when somebody takes something old and kicks it in just the right part of its ass to give it a new life. Check out what Branford Marsalis did with Buckshot LaFunk for one example. Another example was what Wrench did with Gangsta Grass, creating a hip-hop bluegrass hybrid that quite simply rocks. The latest from Gangsta Grass, Broken Hearts and Stolen Money, can be bought off of GangstaGrass.com. Check it out. You will not be disappointed. Well, the first one that comes to mind when you say that is uh, is the latest Sturgill Simpson album, uh, which is called Meta Modern Sounds and Country Music, because uh, it just it's it's made to sound like an album, like something that you would get on vinyl and put on. It's just got that that kind of warmth to it, uh, and it's a great album, start to finish. So I definitely recommend that. 
uh, as well as uh, an album by Blitz and Trapper, who um, I haven't generally listened to, but there's one album they did that's called uh, Seven in Roman numerals um, that's got some very cool sounds, and uh, I would definitely recommend for, for getting on vinyl. Uh, Broken Hearts and Stolen Money is available on vinyl, and there's also a Wrench versus Gangsta Grass vinyl, which has uh, Wrench solo songs on one side and Gangsta Grass songs on the other. <laughs> so uh, we made sure to get those out and, and have some vinyl available, people. So we we appreciate it, and we make sure that it's there as an option because we think it's pretty cool. Um, I wish more people would buy the vinyl, but uh, that's a, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> it's a it's a niche market for sure. Alana Miles is, for my money, a better Canadian songbird than that Celine Dion chick. Would I have liked to have talked with her more about music than the legal aspects of the entertainment industry? Sure. But it was a conversation, and I was willing to let it flow naturally. But I am happy to offer up the as-yet-unheard vinyl fetish with Alana Miles, not only talking about her musical taste, but even singing a few bits of it. Check this out. Oh, God, there's so many. And I just did an interview, and they asked for five, and I gave them 18. <laughs> I can give you the link. <laughs> Warren, Javon. Oh, he's um, classic always. Melita, hold me tighter. I was fired at a Holiday Inn in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada in the early 80s for performing an acoustic version of this dark and dreary song when a patron of their lounge bar heckled me with, Hey, play something nice! So I sang, Carmelita! Boom, boom. Hold me tighter! Nothing comes! Stand down! The most strong heroine on the outskirts of town. Which is such a sad lyric. Yeah. But it's such a beautiful song. He didn't get the humor in it. Oh, yeah. I got fired. Yeah, Warren was a great songwriter. Yeah, he sure was. I mean, anybody could have a hit with, you know, uh, <laughs> werewolves <laughs> along That's <laughs> great. Yep. Well, of course, 85 BPM line of miles. Absolutely. It's from top to bottom. I think it's a great record. If you buy it digitally, you can get 16 tracks. But of other people's who inspired me over the years, great albums, Little Feet, you know, Feet Don't Fail Me. Mm. Even Winwood Can't Find Their Way Back Home. I don't know much about the album, but I know that was a beautiful song. That, that is was a beautiful a great song. song. Uh, Linda Ronstadt, Love Me Tender. Oh, Jennifer Warren's Famous Blue Raincoat. Jennifer Warren's album of the Leonard Cohen songs. I think the album's called Jennifer Warren's Famous Blue Raincoat. Yeah. If not, it's the one track from the from the from the album, but the whole album is gorgeous. It's Canadian made. Just beautiful. It's about twenty years old. Twenty five. I don't know. Oh, in excess music night. In excess uh, uh highly held A C D C early A C D C Blue by Joni Mitchell. Any Rolling Stones record. Uh, Cosby, Tillis, Nash, and Young, their first and only record is my favorite of all time. They were my favorite one-album band. You can hear their early country style of folk sprinkled throughout all my records. Yeah. It was a style of country music, I believe. I was the real country. That I believed was what real country should be like. I won't argue. It's kind of pokey-pokey, but really, really um, classy and elegant. And Cloud Busting by Kate Bush. Oh, Soul by Peter Gabriel. Oh, that's Ach a great album. I've got that one on vinyl. Octung by U2. But that Peter Gabriel album that Daniel Lanois produced is phenomenal. Yeah. And Sting with the... da 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 uh, Mer Oh, what's the name of that song? Um, 
yeah, there's so many Sting albums. I'm just thinking album now, not single album, right. album, album. And just trying to think of my favorite. If I would look at my collection, I could just go, <laughs> I could top them all off. <laughs> well, you've given me so, a good because, list. You know, you don't need to go anywhere else. Sure. You just go to the source. Yep. Now we're getting stuff that's just, even Prince is, is you know, a collection of, uh, um, James Brown and Marvin Gaye and yeah, a lot uh, of the funk artists. You know, um, even he's got a little bit Jagger in there. Yeah, you know, my memory fails me now, and there's That's... so many albums I'd love to be able to give you, like Matricia Berg. Yeah, Matricia Berg. I don't know that name. She had a beautiful "Don't Let the Moon Fool with the Moon." Huh. Um, Chrissy Hind. Uh, oh yeah, anything um, Pretenders. Pretenders uh, debut. Uh, Great albums of all time. Great yeah. albums of all time. Stevie Wonder. Oh, yeah. Um, Marvin Gaye. Sexual Healing. Aretha Franklin. Sink. Leonard Cohen sounds like a frog, but when a lot of people did his stuff, it was brilliant. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of his voice, but I'm a big fan of his songs. Yeah, his words, by are, Leonard Cohen. yeah his words are good. But they might not grasp the, you know, the, the, the likability because his song is, you know, very Tom Waits-like. Yeah. And there's another artist, Tom Waits. What a beautiful artist. Oh, yeah. Um, even Bette Midler, The Divine Miss Anne. That was her first one, wasn't it? D- uh, yeah. Yeah. That was a great album. And uh, that really influenced me. Uh, uh, anything by Linda Ross, um, pretty much, especially the later albums. Um, before the com- she got commercial around the USA record when she was with Roller Skates. Right. Yeah, then the record company was like looking at the money and making her do... I think, didn't she have to do one... Buddy Holly song for a record because of the publishing deal that they have. Somebody <laughs> it's entirely possible, yeah. But I mean, she's so versatile. Yeah, she's done classical vocals. She's done all all kinds of different things with her voice. Oh, I'm I'm so saddened by her ill health because yeah. she is. If it wasn't for the Ronson, I wouldn't have tried as hard as I did to be as as great as she was. To try and be as great as she was. Yeah. And I wish I didn't have to use the word was. I really do. But you know, we can be grateful that we do have her song library, that we do have her her artistry, you know, preserved. Yeah, we certainly do. And anybody in their right mind should go listen to it, and learn how to oh, sing. Yeah. She just knew how to feel something. She taught me with what Christopher used to say. My writer, my black velvet writer, used to say, "You know, you can take one simple three-word line and load it with emotion." Yeah. Well, I learned that from her. Yeah, I learned that from Linda. She loaded it up with emotion and just sung it very sincerely. And I guess that's my, my lesson to say. It's just be with your heart and sing it sincerely. You don't have to sound great. You just have to sound like you mean it. Stay convicted. Stay with yourself. Don't try to be what's in those who's, you know, what's the name of that girl? I think she's got a wicked voice. Um, Christian, Christian Aguilera. Aguilera, yeah. Tina Aguilera. She's got the wickedest voice in the world. <laughs> but don't even try. Yeah. Don't even go there. Yeah. And yet, when she was nine years old, she sang Black Velvet and I got the creeps because I thought, what am I doing to nine-year-olds? <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, she sounds fucking, she could sing circles around me now, but when she was nine years old, she was putting sex into it, and I thought, no, nah, it's just not right coming from a nine-year-old. Yeah. Because she didn't know what sexy was. No, she was, she know, was, she she was on the Disney Channel at that time. I do. It wasn't. It yeah. was what her interpretation as a nine-year-old of what, what I do. Right. Now I'm sure she could sing the rat's butt out of it. <laughs> And you know what? I'd love to do a, a, a duet with her. That'd be great. That would be good. We'll make Wouldn't that, that be happen. Wonderful? A duet of Black Velvets and for all of my favorite artists in the whole world is to do, you know, here, put it on your record. I'll put it on mine. We'll just do Black Velvet. Yeah. 
quite a, a clever thing, and, and I can't imagine anybody would not want to sing it. The only reason they wouldn't is because they don't want to compete with the original, with your voice, and you know the way the, the soul that you put well, into it's, it. It's honorable, but come on, this is in you know this. Let's move forward. Let's move beyond. Sure. You know. Oh, I, I, I mean, I'm listen. honored that that's the way they feel, and 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 that they're. I'm particularly honored that I get to be my own little. Um, you know, it's only took one song, and often people will try to berate me. You know, the the, the haters. They try and berate me by saying, oh, yeah, one hit wonder. And I go, oh, okay, fine, one hit. You only took one. Yeah, most people don't see that one in their lifetime. One. Go ahead. You can better it. Be my guest. <laughs> you know, I can, I can afford to be cocky. <laughs> Hindsight allows me to be cocky. Sure, include that. People like there's a guy that died of cancer and, oh, oh his music. Oh. Uh, Chris Whiteley. Chris Whiteley? Chris Whiteley? I don't yeah, know the name. Yeah, but Chris Whiteley the one that I'm talking about. Huh. He's a blues artist, and he died of cancer. He's got a sibling that sings now. I'm going to pick obscure stuff, because I never went for the whole hog stuff when I was famous. When I got famous, I went searched into the you know, obscure places to try and find inspiration, sure. because I couldn't get it from radio. I was really let down by radio by 1990. Yeah, you're not and, alone. Uh, Nirvana was great, but I don't see me singing their songs. They're too dark and dreary. Yeah, you mean, it would be interesting <laughs> to do a reinterpretation. Like, you, you know... Entertainer, yeah. la 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 la. <laughs> it's like it, it's the Tchaikovsky for me, but yeah. there it is, Big Sky Country by Chris Whitley. If you, if you haven't heard the the old jazz crooner Paul Anka actually did a version of Smells Like Teen Spirit that's really good to hear. Oh really? Yep, he did a now, big band. Hilarious. He did a big band version of it a couple years ago, yeah, and it's really I'm referring good. to, and I believe he only did one or two. Here we go. <laughs> Are you getting this? Yeah. It's like you're doing a duet with him now. Posthumously. <laughs> I think I think we found your bonus track on your next album right there. <laughs> well, you know what? You're right. I mean, I just could record any one of his songs. He's got the kind of voice I like to sing. Yeah. His, his voice inspired me to sing to be to, to bluesy and copy him and oh, yeah. wonderful. Well, thank you for serenading me over the phone. That was cool. <laughs> I think so. We'll find out. Oh, wow. There you go. <laughs> hmm.
Tessa Suter appeared in my life a while back through happenstance. She was seeking information about Kazakhstan for a possible gig there, and I just published my book of experiences from my time as a Peace Corps volunteer in Kazakhstan. I proposed an exchange my book for one of her CDs, and it was, for my money, quite a deal. Tessa has a great ear for great music, and getting her to talk about it was one of the easier things I've done throughout the podcast. I absolutely love Sketches of Spain. That's a great Miles Davis album. Yeah. That you can listen to from beginning to end. Just sit there and listen to the whole thing. I also listened to um, Keith Jarrett's The Cologne concert a while back. I just sat down in front. I have nice speakers. A friend gave me some very nice speakers. And I have a sweet spot. I don't know if you are audiophile. You sound like you might be. But, you know, I sit in a... Billy set it up for me so that my seat is right where the sound stage and all this kind of silliness <laughs> is perfect. And I just sat down and listened to it from beginning to end. And it's a journey. And then my very favorite album probably of all time is Wayne Shorter's Native Dancer with Milton Nascimento. And that really was my introduction to jazz. I would also listen to that. I mean, there's so many songs you can listen to. Sure. So many albums, sorry, that you could listen to like that. But yeah. Well, I'll have to seek that one out next time. I, I tend to go, I don't know how long you've been out here in Southern California touring, but there's a big record store in Hollywood called Amoeba. And they've got oh, one. They've really? got yeah. They've got one in San Francisco too, I believe. Uh, but that's they do have one in. They have Amoeba Records in San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, it's the same. It's the same group. And so whenever I have have time and cash to spend, that's usually where you find me is in their vinyl selection. And you oh, know, wow. yeah. And I really like we you know. We do that too. We do that a lot. There's a place in uh, New Jersey called Prince in Princeton called Princeton Record Exchange. Oh, that place is packed. Yeah. And I said, I just, I really like it, and they've got, you know, they have the whole setup, but they also have these cardboard boxes underneath sort of the main displays where everything's, you know, a buck or two bucks or whatever it is, and I'll walk out of there with, you know, ten albums for twenty bucks and give each of them a listen. It's just, it's just so nice to have that feeling, and yeah, I guess I'm, I'm an audiophile. I keep trying to find the perfect record player and try to find, you know, the right set of speakers to go along with it. Oh, so. yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> Poor you. Sorry. I know. <laughs> it's a disease. You know, I've, but I've they're selling them now, new. I oh was yeah, Barnes and Noble the other day, and they were all this new vinyl in there. Yeah, I just picked up the latest Don Henley album on vinyl. Oh well, there you go. And just yeah, to, you can get them all, I think. Yeah, just just to, just to get a listen, and it's, you know, I said it's just there's something about that experience. You know, when I was in college, I was a DJ. And there's something, ah. there, yeah. There, there's something about putting the, you know, the the needle to the vinyl and hearing the the pops and the scratches and everything else. I it agree. really makes it more tactile. But well, that's yeah, cool. I love vinyl. Another vinyl I would recommend, which I have, is is Mark Murphy's Raw R A H. Hmm. That's an incredible album. Well, now I have a, a bunch to seek out next time I'm out wandering <laughs> about. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, the, the, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's it's a it's a never ending hobby, you know. Once you find one, then it leads you to another, and leads you to another, which is always kind of fun. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I actually came to the vocalists like Sarah Vaughan, Elton Sherald, all those people via this one album by by Wayne Shorter, the Native Dancer, because then I discovered Milton Nascimento, and I found an album of his. Well, not his, but he was on an album with Sarah Vaughan. Hmm. And so my introduction to Sarah Vaughan, another great album, is Brazilian Romance. And then from that, that led me to the others. I was like, oh, there's another person <laughs> called Ella Fitzgerald, you know, that oh, kind yes. of thing. 
so it was amazing. Yeah. Well, I I guess I'm inspired. You know, if I go out and hear live music, I'm always inspired by that. Um, I'm inspired by, you know, obviously the classics like Miles Davis or, you know, Sarah Vaughan. In fact, the more I listen to Shirley Horn, the more I listen to the... Um, you know, the so-called, and, uh, and quite rightly, greats, like Sarah Vaughan, Ella Fitzgerald, Carmen McRae. And the more I know about music, the more I learn, you know, from being a musician, the more I appreciate what they're doing. And that that's very exciting. So you're just rediscovering and re being re-inspired over and over again. But in terms of new music, there's this young woman... Well, probably not that young, actually, but she's incredible. She looks young. She's <laughs> called Yon Sun Na, Y-O-U-N, and Sun, you know, S-U-N, and then N-A-H. And she's Korean, and she lives, I think, in Paris, possibly. And she used to work in fashion. I don't know if she was a journalist, but she's... I, I sort of identify a little bit with her, because she was a journalist, and um, so was I. And... She is a really exciting singer, and it she takes like nine inch nails or just weird music. You wouldn't so it's it's not quite jazz, but it it is in a sense because mm -hmm. she's obviously improvising. And it is it's I love her. I I went saw her when she was at the Blue Note not long ago, and she knew who I was. <laughs> which I was just over the moon. I couldn't oh, believe sure. it. She gave, she gave me three albums of hers. <laughs> but she's, she is, I really, really admire, and it reminds me, you don't have to fit in a, it's not about fitting in a mold or being easy to sell. It's just being you. you. That's, more, that's the best thing you can be is yourself. And if you do that, in a way, it doesn't matter if anyone buys it or not. Because you're really, it, that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you are, you need to express yourself. And she's a reminder of that. And it's beautiful. I, I think what she does is just beautiful. I'll have to check her out. Yeah, check her out because she's, she's really a lovely soul, I think. Hmm. Beautiful person. Talking with Paul Majors was just hysterical. As Craig said to me a while ago, it was the epitome of the Beverly Hills experience. Majors invited us into his home in the hills, we dished about his neighbors, and just had a ton of fun. His vinyl fetish was perhaps the most pragmatic of the bunch. As you're driving around when Coast to Coast isn't on, is there any music that you really enjoy playing? Yeah, I really have an eclectic taste in music. I mean, I like everything from... I, I like standards from the 40s and the 50s. Huge Sinatra fan. Oh, yeah. Um, are you annoyed? I don't know if you have Sirius XM. Are you annoyed that Seriously Sinatra doesn't only play Sinatra? They have to throw in all the other. You know, I, never, I really don't because I'm not in the car very much. So I really don't listen to music in the car on the way to work. I'll have sadly I'll have KNX News Radio on <laughs> just in case something happens that I need yeah. to know about when I get That's to work because I'm not in the car long enough. Right. Um, but on my iPad and my computer and stuff, and here at home, um, it's but it's an eclectic. Like I said, taste in music. I, I like a lot of different things. Uh, is there anything I would recommend? No, nah, everybody can find their own way. They don't need my help. <laughs> Fair enough. Is there yeah. a Sinatra song you like more than any of the others? Summer Wind. Summer Wind. That's yeah. a good one. And you, you, I don't know if you guys saw the special recently. I believe it was on HBO. 
Oh, right. Yeah, they did that whole... Fascinating. Yeah. The whole background. You know, he actually liked having in the studio the band around him. Uh, one of the few people not to work in a booth. He was actually out in the studio with the orchestra, the band. And he liked being in the middle of it. And it was a very unusual way to do things, but it just made him feel more in touch with the music. Because, I mean, his voice really did yeah. enhance the music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the yeah, versions, sure. yeah. I think it was a Capitol Records album where you can actually hear him in between cuts directing the band like mm-hmm. you know i want these guys to come in on this bar let these guys to do this these yeah. guys let's go and he counts them down and they do it it's yeah. all you can tell it's all happening right there yeah. and, you know it's it, happening it, live it, for anybody listening if you can find that special the special is really really yeah, interesting. Kind of, it's fascinating think of the name of it because yeah. i did watch i think i watched all of it and i've seen a couple of the other things that they do their rat pack dvd that came out where they found the archive from like 50 years ago uh-huh. where it was frank dean and sammy and then johnny carson was the mc as just as a classic guys show. In Vegas. I know. Uh, my mom got to see Frank in Vegas. My dad was a part of uh, uh, executive management with Seven Eleven for years, and they had some reason to be there. And my dad got tickets for them, and my mom said I could have touched his shoe. Huh. You know, she said it was a great show. Can you imagine though those guys who they were, the access they had to whatever, yeah, the money that they had to back up only enhance the access sure the stardom the fame imagine the crap they got away with oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was pointing out to him back, as we were back in Vegas in yeah, those days yeah. and yeah. no one was there to rag out that's right well, and yet I was pointing out to him as we were coming up Sunset uh, where Hamburger Hamlet used to be and yeah. where Dean Martin had every lunch there every day for like the last 30 years of his life that was where you could find him just sitting in his booth having his burger and fries and whatever yeah. and I was like you would think that at a certain point he could do whatever he wanted and go wherever he wanted, but then you think, well, that's fine. He you know, likes his burger. He likes to be there. Yeah. He's going to do what he wants. Yeah. <laughs> I loved his show. Yeah. Sitting down to lunch before interviewing indie filmmaker Michael Colomb, Craig and I received a text from Colomb asking if we were allowed to drink during the podcast. That kind of set the tone for the interview. We sat down with him in an outdoor bar carved out of the corner of his backyard, and the interview probably would have gone longer except the landscaping crew appeared with leaf blowers and mowers. That really doesn't create a pleasing podcast experience. But we did manage to squeeze in his vinyl fetish. I'm the worst when it comes to me. I really am the worst when it comes to me. I, I, as I think as a writer and because I make movies, I listen to a lot of like film scores probably. So there's nothing particularly... That's why we're friends. <laughs> yeah, I just, I try to like get into music and I'm the worst, which my manager would be mad about because my manager started in music. But um, because I, when I write, I have to be in a specific mood. So I, like if I'm writing a love scene, I listen to love songs. If I'm writing an action scene, I listen. So I always have to r- listen to music that's sort of, Yes, and that's why film scores are so amazing because it's like if I, I so so I just like I'll put on um, Spotify or Pandora and I'll just be like film scores, movie scores, and I'm just like love songs and whatever. so I just listen to whatever's playing, just sort of just give me that mood. So when I write or whatever, I'm like if I'm not crying, it's not good enough. It's stuff like that, you know. So there's no particular. I'm the worst I know when it comes to music, but yeah, there's no particular album I'm listening to. I'm just always like it's just out whatever's playing at the time that I need to. Yeah. Well, it's a good sense of, you know, again, part of your process. Obviously. Yeah, that's my process. I try to listen. I keep myself in that mood. So if I'm writing something scary, I write it at night. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's really interesting how I, that's my process. I have to try to live in that moment. That's why, that, if, if, if it's real for me, I know it's going to be real for the audience. If I'm writing something scary, I put on Justin Bieber. It fits. <laughs> well, good point. Well played. Sorry, I had well to play. end on a punchline. <laughs> 
As for my own vinyl fetish, I can tell you about some of the purchases I've made during production of the podcast. As for new stuff, I bought Don Henley's new country album, the latest uh, rock album from Mumford & Sons, and Peter Gabriel's album where he covers songs from other artists and other artists cover his music. All of them I consider to be worthwhile purchases. As for vintage vinyl, after a few trips to Amoeba Records, I am the proud owner of an album of David Steinberg's stand-up comedy, a Duke Ellington blues collection, and a collaborative effort between Henry Mancini and Mr. Doc Severinsen. It is my sincere hope that the eclectic nature of my musical taste, as well as the eclectic nature of this podcast, somehow inspires you. If it does, then my work here is done. Of course, my work here is just getting started. We have an exciting second season lined up for you. If you're a fan of horror, we've got the man who wrote Friday the 13th standing in the wings waiting to speak with us. we got people from the world of photography, sports, yes, sports, and TV to talk about publishing and writing and just being creative. We have, as promised, a chat with the man behind our theme song, Brian Weideman. Dig his new album at brymaxian.bandcamp.com. That's B-R-I-M-A-X-I-A-N.bandcamp.com. Track two is my favorite. And Craig's bass-filled voice will return to Backpack Studios as both announcer and co-host. We've got all that and more coming up, so stay tuned. Keep sharing us on social media. Please toss some coins in the tip jar or buy one of my books and just keep supporting the podcast any way you can. Until next time, get off my lawn. This has been the Get Off My Lawn Podcast, brought to you by Kevin's Bookmobile. Check out www.lulu.com forward slash Marusik for a selection of books authored by your genial host. Buy a paperback or download an ebook and help support the podcast. That's www.lulu.com slash M-A-R-O-U-S-E-K. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Get Off My Lawn Pod. Check out our SoundCloud at Get Off My Lawn Podcast or subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest episodes. Questions or comments? To suggest a guest or to offer us fat wads of cash in exchange for promotional consideration, our email address is getoffmylawnpod at gmail.com. The theme was composed and performed by Brian Weideman. Check out his music at www.worldbride.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-B-R-I.com. The logo was designed by Julie Contreras at Urban Bird Design. Go to urbanbirddesign.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend.